From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. A sad note before we begin, uh, as most of you probably know already, we lost one of the legends in the conspiracy pantheon, the granddaddy, really, of JFK assassination research, uh, or one of them. Uh, He actually knew Jack Ruby. I'm talking about uh, Jim Mars, of course, who died earlier this week at the age of 74. Uh, Jim was a good friend. Uh, He um, was a a guest on this program many times, and, and this program's various incarnations over the last nearly 20 years. We also appeared together at a couple of live events, and he was on a number of episodes of my television program, The Conspiracy Show. And I have to say, one of my great memories of Jim Mars, I was down in Dallas shooting an episode uh, for the TV show. I was to meet up with Jim later in the day, so he called me on the phone while I'm walking around Dealey Plaza, uh, just to give me directions to his place, and he... Um, when I told him I was in Dealey Plaza, he started giving me a guided tour. He'd say, okay, now you're, where are you? I'd say, well, I'm right in the door, doorway of the Texas Book Depository. I says, okay, take a few steps forward, look up, there's the window, and so forth, and then walk down, there's the, in, into the grassy knoll, you find that, there's a, there's a brass plate in the grass, that's the exact place where Kennedy received the fatal head wound, and so forth. Jim Mars, of all people, the man who was one of the uh, consultants on Oliver Stone's JFK movie. Uh, and his book, Crossfire, along with Garrison's book, of course, uh, but Crossfire was one of the, uh, I guess, the source material for Oliver Stone's JFK. So Jim Mars, good friend. Nothing uh, nothing uh, more enjoyable also than sitting down and talking about JFK and aliens and the Illuminati with Jim Mars over a couple of beers and some pizza, and we had an occasion to do that as well. Jim, we're going to miss you. A busy show tonight. Our, our panel just ahead, media scientist Nelson Thal, pastor and best-selling author Carl Gallup's Moments Away, uh, to discuss the Russia probe. And um, special counsel Robert Mueller now has impaneled a grand jury. What does this mean for the Trump administration going forward? Some are saying this is the beginning of the end. Well, we'll find out. Uh, then... Uh, was former DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz running a Pakistani spy ring out of her office? Cybersecurity expert Michael Doherty will be here to discuss. Our weekly remote viewing experiment, of course, what's in the box? Also just moments away, tweet your answers to me at Richard Serrett and use the hashtag TCS Remote. TCS, as in the conspiracy show, hashtag TCS Remote. We'll do the big reveal just after the bottom of the hour. We'll also have our mailbag. And then... A death storm is sweeping across North America in the form of a devastating opioid addiction and overdose epidemic. Board-certified pain physician Dr. William Marone uh, joins us to provide some answers. Uh, Then, in the second hour, of course, the first half, open lines, uh, followed by world-renowned ufologist Grant Cameron to talk about a wave of UFO sightings that struck southern Manitoba back in 1975, over 40 years ago, uh, that had possible connections to U.S. missile defense operations. Grant was a witness to that, and he'll talk about it. It was called Charlie Red Star. 
All right, let's quickly introduce the boys in the band. On the Flying V, Gibson guitar, technical producer Ian Robertson. On the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, story producer Albert Vinzel. And on the Hammond B3, feature producer Ryan White. Gentlemen, as always, thank you for all that you do. Now, just ahead of our panel, it's time for What's in the Box. This is our weekly remote viewing experiment. You, the listeners of The Conspiracy Show, attempt to transcend space and time and uh, perceive the contents of the cigar box. So here are your coordinates. The cigar box, of course, is resting on the studio desk to my left here at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Again, tweet your answers to me at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCS Remote. You must use the hashtag TCS Remote to qualify and to the remote viewer or remote viewers who correctly identifies what's in the box. We have some wonderful Conspiracy Show merchandise for you. And if you're a fan of the show, why not show it off? Visit the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. Buy yourself a mug, a t-shirt, a hoodie, a phone case. Again, that's the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. Good luck, remote viewers. All right, a few days ago it was reported that Special Counsel Robert Mueller impaneled a grand jury in Washington to investigate allegations of Russia's interference in the 2016 election. This thing just won't go away. The grand jury began its work in uh, recent weeks, according to a a piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal. And uh, it's a sign that Mueller's inquiry into Russia's efforts to influence the election and whether it colluded with President Donald Trump's campaign is ramping up. What does this mean to the Trump administration? Media scientist Nelson Thal is recognized as one of the world's leading authorities on the science of communication, media, and process analysis. He studied under, he studied under the venerable Marshall McLuhan. Uh, Nelson's website is McLuhanTactics.com. McLuhanTactics.com. And uh, Carl Gallops is the longtime senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. He's the author of When the Lion Roars, Be Thou Prepared, Final Warning, and many more. Nelson Thal, Carl Gallops, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Gentlemen, how are you? Richard, I'm doing great. Uh, Nelson, it's good to meet you. Thanks, and it's great being on as well. Uh, to you, Carl, first of all, w- w- uh, for those of us in Canada not familiar with uh, the, the process of impaneling a grand jury, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Well, a grand jury in, in the United States, um, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it works at the federal level. I used to be a, a law enforcement officer in Florida for 10 years with two different sheriff's offices as a uniform patrol officer and did some special investigations as well. So I'm familiar with the state system in Florida. But basically speaking generally, it is a jury that has much broader investigative um, um, uh, privileges, uh, they, they, but they answer to basically the prosecutor. So it's basically a panel of people. I'm going to put it in the simplest terms. It's basically a panel of people who are employed for the purpose of of the prosecution uh, bouncing off all of the stuff they think they have. And the and the grand juries have a lot of power. They can, in it, at the state level anyway, they can uh, call witnesses. They can they can actually. Um, 
uh, put the whole case out if they don't think that there's anything to it. There have been cases where the grand jury actually levels charges against the prosecutors <laughs> at the state level by the time it's all over with. I don't know if that can be done at the federal level. I don't know what the rules and the laws are regarding a federal grand jury, but I know that it's a similar process of of being the sounding board, the the people who will listen to the evidence that the prosecution is bringing, and then make a determination of whether or not they think it's valid evidence, whether or not they think it is valid enough to pursue a, a deeper investigation. So they can subpoena people, they can subpoena documents, yes. uh, they will put people under oath. Yes. Um, now, over to you, Nelson. The fact that this, the they keep moving the goalpost, it seems. First, of it, first it was Russian collusion, and now they're looking into finances and uh, just about anything. Uh, it seems like once the government decides to go after you, uh, you know, they're not going to rest until they find something, anything. So the question to you, Nelson Thal, is, is this perhaps, or some suggesting, you know, the beginning of the end of the Trump administration? Quite frankly, I think it's a little bit premature to uh, make any sort of decision like that. Uh, there's a lot of forces at play, and we just don't know how it's going to play out. But one thing's for sure, and that is that uh, there's a, a great deal of um, two sides. Of course, we've got the establishment on one side and sort of the patriots and uh, on the other. It's the age-old battle that's been being waged between the uh, uh Basically, as we as we've documented, Rich, between the British Crown and the Patriots, once again, and in Canada, we've been on the sidelines, been able to watch it. Well, how over to you, Carl? Are, are you concerned that this because it is so far-reaching? I mentioned that you yeah. know, first it was Russian collusion, and now they're looking into finances, and and it's it's like they won't rest until they find something, anything, and if they want right. to find something, they will. Right, Richard and Nelson. Listen, I appreciate what you're saying. Listen, I I, I don't claim to be an attorney. I I don't play one on television. I did stay in a Holiday Inn last night, so maybe that <laughs> gives me some some credentials. But I can say this: I, I being a media personality myself, I'm continuing researching and reading, and some of the latest information that has just been published in the mainstream media, and then again, you've got to wonder whether you're dealing with fake news or not, but I, just a few hours ago, there was an article published, I don't remember, as mainstream media source, but Chris Christie weighed in on the very question you're asking, as well as the Deputy Attorney General. I can't remember his name right now, but he's the one that actually appointed Mueller because uh, Jeff Sessions recused himself. Both of those guys, in addressing the question you just asked, according to this article I read just about an hour ago, they say that, the first of all, the impaneling of the grand jury does not necessarily signal anything, that it is a working prosecutorial investigative tool. That's the way it is in, in the state level, and I'm sure it's exactly that same way in the federal level. And then as, as to the other matter of now it seems that they're delving into financial matters, etc., both of these guys, Chris Christie and the Deputy Attorney General, said that that's a little premature, as Nelson just said, to say that that's what they're doing. They said that, first of all, that that would require special permission. You cannot use an investigation which has been given its scope to go on literally a witch hunt. You, you can't do that without special permission. 
And the joke on everybody, Richard, is that the 33,000 emails and all the real stuff yeah. that the Clintons yeah. have been into, which is a, 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 what, what Trump's done is a speck in the eye. I mean, yeah. but they don't go after the big guy, right? I agree. They don't go after the big guy. Well, yes, yeah, so one has to wonder, where is Jeff Sessions in all yeah. this? Where are the grand juries for your right? Uh, uh, and perhaps we'll see a... Who knows, a special uh, counsel to investigate the DNC and its IT fraud. And I'm going to discuss that next uh, when uh, Michael Doherty joins us, cybersecurity expert Carl Gallops. Uh, again, a final warning, when the lion roars, be thou prepared. A new book coming out in the fall. Looking forward to that. Nelson Thal, McLuhanTactics.com. Thank you both, gentlemen. Thank you. Bye-bye, Rich. Bye-bye. All right. When we come back... Was former DNC Chair Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz running a Pakistani spy ring out of her office? Cybersecurity expert Michael Doherty is next. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416 360 0740. Or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. And uh, the results of our weekly remote viewing experiment, what's in the box? Mailbag after the bottom of the hour. Dr. William Maroney on the opioid addiction and overdose epidemic also ahead. Right now, we move uh, to other matters. Democratic Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz is uh, coming under mounting pressure to explain why she kept an IT aide on the payroll for months after a criminal investigation was revealed, facing calls from the Republican uh, Republicans to, to testify, as well as a newly filed ethics complaint. Wasserman Schultz, the Florida congressman who led the DNC, until uh, last year, terminated Imran Awan's part-time employment last week when he was arrested at Dulles International Airport trying to fly to Pakistan. He was charged with a bank fraud count, but he and other former IT aides for House Democrats have been on investigators' radar screen for months over concerns about possible double billing, alleged equipment theft, and access to sensitive computer systems. Most lawmakers fired Awan in March, but Schultz kept him on, though he was barred from the House IT network. And uh, now, after his arrest, uh, the uh, the DNC are uh, claiming Islamophobia. Michael Doherty is a senior writer for Cyber Defense Magazine and a board member at Snoopwall, the global leader in affordable breach prevention. He is the author of The Devil Inside the Beltway, the shocking expose of the U.S. government surveillance and overreach into cybersecurity, medicine, and small business. Michael Doherty, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm well. How are you, sir? Very well. This is just a tangled mess. <laughs> and because it's not getting a lot of attention in the mainstream media... Uh, there are so many details out there that people just aren't aware of. Uh, last week or the week before, we were talking about the um, several uh, lawyers in the, um, the the civil action suit against the DNC, uh, the fraud suit, uh, died mysteriously. The, the lead lawyer in that um, uh, lawsuit uh, was asking for court protection. Um, and now we have this. We have the, uh, the arrest of this... A Pakistani-born Imran Awan, the IT, um, the information technology guy. So help us to understand what is happening here. All right. Well, I will say, to start off, the big picture is we are seeing 
issue after issue after issue of incompetence leading to corruption that never results in accountability. In this specific instance, uh, it's, it's happened as a fluke. It's unfortunate that flukes are how we discover these things, which also you know, begs the question, where are people vetting who works? But this, uh, this all started with a laptop that was found in a vestibule in, in a building of the House of Representatives other than the building that Washington Schultz's office is in, and the Capitol Police found it. And it's, it's, you know, when you, in this world of cybersecurity awareness and all that's gone on, and everyone screaming about Russia, you know, and hacking and, and Trump and Hillary, this is quite uh, an, an issue. And instead of Wasserman Schultz uh, wanting to investigate it, she just wanted her property back. And they wouldn't give it back to her, and she got very upset about it. Now, coincidentally, then we find out her IT person is this Pakistani man that's worked for her for several years, has his own company. He's not an employee. He's a contractor. And he, about the same time, leaves his house really quickly and moves. Now, that seems strange. So we have this, this, this jigsaw puzzle coming together uh, with the pieces fitting well, but still a lot of open pieces. So he rents his house quickly to a military family. Uh, a, a Marine veteran and his wife, active duty Navy. And after they're there a couple of weeks, they find smashed hard drives, routers, evidence of equipment that appears to be the property of the federal government. So they call the government. So that is fluke number two. And this guy that has left the house uh, and is now the landlord is demanding his property back, getting very aggressive, and um, the Marine veteran's appalled because, as he correctly stated, had this been someone that was not a politician or not famous, they'd be in jail for less right now. And so he turns them over and the FBI gets involved. We won't know about the FBI, of course, because they're going to keep tight-lipped. But we put all these pieces together. Yeah, there'll be no leaks in this investigation. I'm sorry? I say there'll be no leaks in this investigation. No, and, and, and we piece together what's happened. Well, then we, but we can learn about him. So it turns out this guy has got two other brothers, all from Pakistan. Uh, they've worked for 20-something Democrats, all in contractor status. Everybody drops the guy like a hot potato except Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's at a hearing beating up the Capitol Police, saying there are consequences if she doesn't get her, her laptop That's right. Back. She threatened them. She right. threatened them. Now, this is amazing, because this is, just, this, is, this is where you have to believe your eyes. And there's a cognitive dissonance that happens. We have seen liar after liar. After, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is just a liar. But it's very hard for us to take in how bad these people are, because... You know, it, it leaves a big cliff to fall off of when you realize just how screwed up the government is and just how many trap doors and loopholes have been built in the system for these people to get away with whatever they want to get away with. And so now we have national security violation because it turns out one of this guy's wives, one of the, the wives of the brothers has left with kids and $12,000 cash. She's allowed to go. This thing isn't percolated enough. And then the Daily Caller breaks this story a couple of weeks ago, and lo and behold, now this guy is arrested Dulles because he's wired 
$300,000 to Pakistan, he's on a plane out of there. So they got what they call a placeholder arrest because they got him on bank fraud because he got the loan from a property he owned that wasn't a primary residence. It was a rental property, and he misrepresented what it was on the application while they continue the rest of this investigation. But there's all sorts of stonewalling that can happen when politicians are involved because Congress gave themselves for the last many, many years, the speech and debate protection, where they pretty much have complete immunity in doing their jobs, and so does their staff. Now, there's a certain logic to that, but we have to stop electing people that we refuse to be held accountable when we catch them red-handed. And when some of the headlines... ...have now not spoken to the press at all. Uh, the mainstream media has barely uh, touched this. It, it, it's terrifying the intentional silence that goes on. So the the potential here, uh, or the speculation is, that perhaps Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the reason that she didn't want uh, to press charges against uh, this individual, or she didn't want to fire him, uh, was because she was being blackmailed. Is there any credence to that? And blackmailed over what? Well, every time... You have, I mean, well, what's come out is he has had full access to her emails. He has had uh, access to her password. So he knows information. So blackmail, maybe, but blackmailable for sure. And this is true when you have the entire, it turns out it's been alleged he has access to all of Congress's emails and that he's been selling them. So he sold them to um, to the pious bidder. So that would be the Muslim Brotherhood has been specifically named. But these are rogue nations. This is, this is what's amazing, is look at the press, completely freak out and melt down about Donald Trump and the Russians, even though you've had Democrat after Democrat say, no, they're there, no, they're there. And yet here we've got this living, breathing situation, and it's like a sea of statues, not a peep. And it's because... It's a Democrat. It's someone that is pro-government and whose business is built into the brand that the government is wonderful and the savior of all. And if that brand breaks, they're out of work. You mentioned Imran Awan having access to not only Debbie Wasserman Schultz's emails and her password, but other Democratic members of Congress. Uh, they um, they were contracted, or the IT staffers for House Democrats for, for uh, the last 10 years or so. Is it, and then this is speculation, but I mean, has it ever come up? Has anyone ever suggested or tried to connect the dots perhaps between the uh, the leaks to WikiLeaks just prior to the election, and Imran Awan or his brothers? Well, this is the type of thing that the FBI is never going to tell right now, right? I mean, and, and this is the thing. This is, a, this is an opportunity for the new head of the FBI to reprieve the reputation of the FBI leadership, not so much the core, but the leadership. Because with Comey, we see an absolute politico. And the same thing with, uh, with Loretta Lynch and, and, uh, and uh, Eric Holder at, at the Justice Department. We see, see politicizing things, so not bringing people to justice based on their political uh, affiliations. <clears throat> so you see Hillary Clinton just walk, and everyone whistles past the graveyard. 
Whereas in this situation, it's a big deal. And it's a national security deal, and it's going to keep being pushed and pushed and pushed until something happens. But the FBI is really going to have to come up with the goods and hold someone accountable. I think the biggest picture here is that there's so much smoke there's so much bad. There's so many valid questions here that they need to stand and look at the American people in the face and answer. Like, how does a guy like this get a job like this? How does he get so much access? Why is there so much power these people to cover this up when they made a mistake? Where is the accountability? You know, this is this is how bad do things have to get? Because, and uh, and why is the not, why are the Clintons' lawyers representing him? I mean, they're bringing out the big guns to, to defend this guy. Oh heck yeah! And 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 when and if if anyone the staffers get involved or Debbie Wasserman Schultz will get the really big guns to defend them against us, and we'll be paying that bill for those lawyers. And those will be thousand dollar an hour people. Michael Doherty is senior writer for Cyber Defense Magazine, a board member at Snoopwall, the global leader in affordable breach prevention, and he's uh, the author of The Devil Inside the Beltway. Um, is there any? Are there any new developments in this? The other case that's going on, and that is uh, with Debbie Wasserman Schultz at the at the front forefront, and that is the uh, the civil action uh, for fraud uh, that is uh, being taken out, and the the, the mysterious deaths of three lawyers uh, involved with the plaintiffs, and then the the chief lawyer for the plaintiffs asking for court protection. Have you heard any more developments in that story? I actually have not. <clears throat> um, because this, there's a playbook involved here, and the playbook is the same. It is the same theater, different actors. Okay, you start with denial, silence, circle and confuse, wait for the, the, the um, media cycle to change. Uh, if that doesn't work, you throw out a massive red herring to, to let people's attention. And then once the FBI or the DOJ does get involved, they need to keep their mouth shut and you can see why they need to keep their mouth shut when look what happened when Comey didn't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> we well, can't have any more of that. So it's it's aggravating, but we have to get the trust back in those agencies. If we don't have an agency that is completely independent of who is ever in or independent of any political opinion, and is not going to be swayed in their prosecutorial discretion because of politics. Um, we're going to have anarchy, and and there's there's a big split in this country. And when you show this level of just absolute corruption and cheating, and have them get away with it, um, it it's 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 just going to upset a load of people. Now, what also is upsetting me though is you know Debbie Wasserman Schultz she got reelected after the DNC fiasco. There's a Indeed whole crowd of people in the country that are playing, I know you are, but what am I, and refuse to want to hold anyone accountable. I really don't care what party you're in. When you violate national security and put your political self ahead and, and bring in these loons that have all sorts of access to this information, I don't care what side you're on. You need, you need to be held accountable. Well, the, then the question is, uh, Michael, where is the uh, attorney general or the... Uh, assistant attorney general, why are they not asking for, you know, where's the special counsel to look into this? Why isn't Jeff Sessions, you know, taking, picking up the ball and running well, with it? Well, uh, uh, this, my opinion is he, he is 
the, this, a successful attack of the Trump administration to date has been what they've done, and that is the left has gone, and the Democratic Party and the Democratic leadership, those are all three, not necessarily the same crowd, have had a complete, utter meltdown and gone to war mode. And war mode means they will throw any trash can in front. So there has been infrastructure that's not been built. Obama people then still linger inside. Uh, they're, they're, these people are, have a war mentality, so there is nothing that's off the table to do. This has been the biggest red herring uh, that the government, that the, that the um, presidents had to deal with, this whole uh, Russia thing. He's gotten furious at Sessions because Sessions uh, recused himself. And Sessions was like the only man in the office for a long time. So that is, if you want to delay, 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 delay accountability, the great way to do it is to keep them so busy on something else they can't get to it. That's starting to end. Um, the Democrats are learning that this might be a major blowback from the American public and the Democratic Party. The, people are just fed up with this, and they see right through it. So um, actually there was about, eight, I think there were 60-something appointees confirmed on Friday in the Senate. I mean, the Senate has just, the Democrats have been very effective of just strangling the entire process since January. Well, we are, um, we're out of time, Michael, but uh, we'll have to have you back. We'll follow this uh, uh, very carefully, and thank you so much for your time. Oh, good talking to you. Michael Doherty, senior writer for Cyber Defense Magazine and the author of The Devil Inside the Beltway. All right, when we come back, the big reveal on our weekly remote viewing experiment, mailbag, and then just ahead, Dr. William Maroney on the opioid epidemic. Stay with us. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome back. It is time for... What's in the box? Our big reveal of our weekly remote viewing experiment. Just a reminder, coming up in the uh, next segment, uh, Dr. William Maroney on the uh, opioid epidemic. And uh, he'll, um, he'll point fingers and uh, offer up some solutions as well. Open lines at the top of the hour. And, of course, uh, Grant Cameron, noted Canadian ufologist, world-renowned ufologist. We'll talk about Charlie Red Star. This was a massive UFO sighting that took place over days and days. Back in 1975 in southern Manitoba, Charlie Red Star and um, uh, Grant Cameron was a witness to that. And that really sort of changed, dramatically changed the trajectory of his life. Yeah, no kidding. All right, we'll get to the big reveal in just a moment, but let's throw it around the horn and let me check in with my remote viewers on staff here. And we're going to begin with my fine rockabilly friend, Ian Robertson. Ian, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing a piece of wood like a stick. Just a stick? Yeah, not much to it. Not much to it. All <laughs> right, all right. And uh, my intrepid story producer, Albert Venzel. I will guess maybe a Makita drill bit or some sort of a tool, maybe a chess piece. It's it's my AOL guess, analytical relay. What is that? It's a term from remote viewing. You're never supposed to guess, really. Like every named object is a guess. You're just supposed to give a description. Exactly. <laughs> I know, but uh, time is short. And I know. I don't. And you're so focused on the show, you don't have a lot of time. 
Yeah, and but the, the the thing is, like, if you're in the zone, it will be a hundred percent. If if you don't get in that relaxed what state, what do we need to do to get you in the zone, Albert? What it's just to get. A lot of it is just a desire to know. A lot of it is just sort of the focused attention, the desire to know, and just the relaxed state, tapping into the unconscious. All right. Well, the, the uh, mighty Aphrodite says I need to get a remote viewer, like a, a serious remote viewer, in here, maybe to do. Kind of a refresher course, a primer. Yeah, Maybe. it helps when Douglas Cottrell was here. I find it helpful when someone talks you through it, like almost, you know, puts you to sleep. It's almost like that sleep state, like almost a, a right. hypnotist. Well, it's uh, long past due to have Douglas Cottrell back on the program, so maybe we'll do that. All right, and finally, my feature producer, Ryan White. Ryan, what's in the box? I see something like maybe a lawn sprinkler, so maybe something that sprays water, uh, like a lawn sprinkler, maybe a squirt gun. Something like that. Interesting. faucet hose. Interesting. All right. Let's go to the Twitter feed, Ryan. Yeah, some interesting sights as always. Conan sees a white feather. Jason, a cell phone adapter plug. Daniel, iPhone headphones. Eric sees a boat. Aaron, a cell phone charger. James sees a handheld game. Seven Flingos sees a paperclip. Heidi thinks it's a tape measure. Paul sees another box, a plain, thin, almost square box, and Amanda sees an orange eraser or car eraser. Hmm. Interesting, because we, you had the Makita drill bit, and then someone said a tape measure, which is interesting, because I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background here. So I was in the garage today, cleaning out the garage, and I'm organizing. We have so many tools. I recently took uh, ownership of my, my late grandfather's tools. I have my dad's tools, my father-in-law's tools, so I'm going through all the tools. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to go to the garage and I'm going to put something in the box. So it is a tool. It's not a tape measure, and it's not a Makita drill bit. I said tool. (laughs) It's a ball-peen hammer. hammer. There we go. Look at that. All right, and that's an old one. That might have been uh, my grandfather's. So that could be at least 70, 80 years old. Anyway, you were in the ballpark. <laughs> it was but, on the tip of my tongue. I was going to say hammer. But not enough for a mug, Albert. But then I went too obvious, so then I left out hammer. But no, you went too specific. Yeah. You went too specific. It was on the tip of I'm my tongue. I was going to say the handle is made of wood. It is. A, yes, it's made out of wood. Okay, so that's right. Oh, I see. That's why you <laughs> were pointing north at Ian, because you think that... Yes, saying. North, are you saying that Ian deserves a mug? For that? Oh, I do like coffee. I can't sanction that. I'm, what do you think, guys? I mean, come on. A stick and it's, it's a pretty hand. close. Not much to it. It's a long wooden stick. I did do this motion. All right. Except you're on staff. You don't qualify. Oh. No. I, you know what? I will. I'll get all of you mugs. All right? I'll get all of you mugs. Mugs. Okay. Uh, let's see. We have just a time, I think, for one. Let's dip into the old mailbag. Albert, what do we have? Okay, um, I'm afraid it's a complaint about the new format. <laughs> That's all right. You know, th- we I'm not gonna I'm not gonna prevent people from speaking out if they have we, a problem. We with the were show. expecting this. That that always happens when you change change formats. Good evening, Mr. Serrett. I'm writing to let you know I enjoy the show very much. However, I must tell you I do not enjoy the new format. I tried to give it a chance, but after a period of time, I find the original format more enjoyable. I prefer to hear one or two subjects discussed over two hours rather than a large number of guests. I find that you get more detail and more time to one subject. 
I was also hoping you would do an episode on Fatima, considering this is the 100th anniversary of the event. That's right. Fatima 1917 in uh, Portugal. All right. Thank you for the email, first of all. You know, I'm taking all this into consideration. Occasionally, I get someone uh, emailing and complaining. They want us to go back to the old format, which incidentally was usually two guests, one per hour. And yes, you can drill a lot deeper when you do that. But here's the thing. It's a weekly show. A lot of stuff is happening before I get to talk about it. So when I host Coast to Coast, I've got four hours to play with. Sometimes four hours on the Saturday, and then I'll come back and do the Sunday. So that gives me a lot more time to play with. But when you've got a two-hour show, and you've got so many things happening, especially now, I just thought also it was important maybe to, to give the show kind of a new coat of paint. So... I'm getting a lot of positive feedback, but I'm listening to those people also. We get some comments, Ryan, on YouTube, people not real thrilled with the new format. We'll take it under consideration. One point, though. Once a month, generally, we do go back to the old format because I have to pre-tape a program. So we revert to the old one. So you're getting that once a month. We're going to keep going with this for a little while longer, and we'll see how it goes. But we welcome your email. How do they email us, Albert? The Conspiracy Show One at gmail.com. Or they can go to the website and email us at the contact page. All right. When we come back, Dr. William Maroney, the opioid epidemic. The stats are absolutely bleak. We'll discuss. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sellers. Welcome back. Open lines at the or after the top of the hour, and um, we'll take your your phone calls. And also, if you're joining us in the live chat uh, on the YouTube channel, and I do appreciate all of you who show up on the live chat. You're so dedicated and so loyal and supportive. Uh, we'll take questions from the uh, the live chat as well. That's coming up after the top of the hour, and then Grant Cameron will join us at the bottom of the next hour. Noted Canadian ufologist, and he'll talk about Charlie Redstar. He has a brand new book. Uh, to talk about that. All right. Uh, right now, the uh, the stats from the opioid epidemic are bleak, to say the least. At least 2,458 Canadians died from an opioid-related overdose last year. Opioids uh, are a class of drugs that include the illicit drug heroin, but they also include illicit prescription pain relievers like oxycodone, hydrocodone, codeine, morphine, fentanyl, and others, and millions uh, had a substance use disorder involving prescription pain relievers, and 591,000 had a substance use disorder involving heroin. Drug overdose is the leading cause of accidental death in, in the United States, with 47,000 lethal drug overdose doses in 2014. In two years, I believe it was 2014 and 2015, more people in the United States died from an opioid overdose than died during the Vietnam War. That, my friends, is a dire situation. William Maroney is a board-certified pain physician who specializes in the treatment of chronic pain and addiction. He's Bay County's Deputy Chief Medical Examiner and Chief Medical Officer for Recovery Pathways in Essexville, Bay City, Karuna, Gladwin, Mount Pleasant, Midland, and Ortonville, Michigan. Dr. Maroney trained at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology and has been a medical guest on CNN, HLN, and Fox News. And his book is American Narcan. It's available for purchase, and we'll tell you how you can get a copy. Uh, Dr. William Maroney, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm a blessed man and a humble servant, and I'm more humble than ever. Thank you so much for having me. 
this is a dire topic, and we really need to be transparent and open. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, I want to revisit some of the ground that we talked about recently on Coast to Coast. Obviously, we don't have as much time, so we'll try to move quickly. I, I, I was very uh, intrigued by when we talk about, you know, where does the blame where, where is the blame here? Who's responsible in part for this? And right at the top, you have fools at the insurance company and the myopia at the FDA. Explain that. Here's what's really important. Uh, we came out with medication, uh, opioid medication that was really uh, important for people who had chronic pain, cancer pain, and it was widely available without many restrictions. And at the FDA, they approved certain products and didn't think that they were really going to be abused or they bought the line from the uh, manufacturers that they were uh, abuse deterrent or it was difficult to abuse. And the insurance companies paid for these without question. Then when we saw that people were having trouble with substance use disorder and uh, the red flags of addiction, the insurance companies ignored the fact that they paid for the drugs that caused the addiction and they made the medicine that we use to treat addiction more difficult to get than the drugs that cause the addiction. And in the end, if you're going to treat uh, with the Vivitrol, Naltrexone, Suboxone, or send people off to methadone clinics, it's more difficult. There's less access. The insurance companies have ignored parity laws for a decade. Now they're just about getting on board right now. But an important series of laws came uh, that was collectively known as the Wellstone Act from Paul Wellstone, a senator from Minnesota, that said addiction and mental health are the same as diabetes and uh, hypertension, and these people need to be treated and the insurance companies spent 10 years ignoring that, and nobody enforced it. Maybe 12. Now, the, uh, the attorney general in Missouri um, has uh, is taking the drug companies to court, and I believe now there are three states in the United States taking the drug companies to court, uh, Purdue Pharma, for example. Uh, to what extent are they culpable? Did they lie about uh, the uh, the uh, the addictive qualities of their of their uh, their drugs? I believe they told people that uh, it wasn't addictive in the beginning, and then they didn't offer enough data to show how to help people who went down a path. And the number one thing, uh, there's a, a GAO report, uh, Government Accounting Office in 2003, that uh, the government has outlined how Purdue Pharma offered OxyContin, scaled up a sales force, and attacked primary care doctors as if it was D-Day on Normandy and spread Purdue Pharma's um, message that you have chronic non-cancer pain and this is a drug that's good for headaches, uh, it might be good for arthritis, and it could be good for back pain. And the medical doctors are trained and when they get out there, they're told half of everything you see is pain. And then you have the sales force that comes and says, hey, look, here's what we have for pain. So the doctors were not prepared. 
and Purdue Pharma had a really big budget. Now, they're doing what they do best. They're trying to sell their product. But the timing of this is just an absolute disaster that medical schools didn't teach pain, that they didn't teach the difference between pain and suffering, and a really powerful, well-equipped drug company came uh, with great resources. And it was a it was a terrible storm. We've never seen, uh, to my knowledge, an epidemic, a drug problem like this. I mean, it, I mean, it, it, others were were very serious. Um, but in terms of the demographics and the, the geography, uh, typically we saw uh, drug problems in the inner cities. Now we're seeing it in rural areas, pastoral New Hampshire, for example. What's happening? Why? New Hampshire, uh, the Buckhead outside of Atlanta. Akron, Ohio, and um, even some of the neighborhoods in uh, the end of July in Toronto, there were uh, 20 people that overdosed between Thursday and Sunday, the last week of the overdose in Toronto. And it's an upscale, cleaner presentation. Um, the drug cartels have gone after uh, a guy in a Camaro, um a guy in a BMW, and he drives around to nicer neighborhoods, and he he goes to nicer restaurants, and he went to high school with certain people. And the tree, it's not a linear path of drugs anymore. The tree that exists has many branches and broad roots. And they, they realized that because of the pain medication that was spread out there, and then now doctors are pulling people off pain meds, you have adults that are trapped, and you have children that are accustomed to seeing parents take medicine, and they think this stuff is safe, so they start experimenting with it in high school. And when you can't get the pain meds anymore, there's always somebody who says, I have something a little bit cheaper, a little bit better, and uh, you don't have to inject it. I'll give it to you for free. You can snort it. And after two or three weeks, you find out that doesn't work, and somebody promises they'll take care of you. And the injections start, and then your boss is the needle. You're talking heroin. Yeah, I'm talking heroin. It it comes fast. Now uh, it we, comes very fast. When when you and I did the show on Coast to Coast recently, we had a lot of emails, a lot of people calling in saying, "But I can't function without opioids. I'm not an uh, uh, an addict, but I can't function because of the pain. I need, you know, my my I have chronic back pain. Uh, are, were those people in denial? Uh, do they have a dependency? Are they addicts and perhaps they don't know it? What's, what's the first message that you have to understand is they may feel that their pain is justified, but the question is, what do we have in North America? And we have a death storm of people that are overdosing on prescription heroin and heroin mixed with fentanyl. And one of the answers to stop this death storm sweeping across the country is to reduce over-prescribing. Now, if they're in a legitimate pain clinic with a real doctor that they have a bona fide relationship with, they really don't have to worry a lot. But if they've been going to a pill mill and uh, they've been getting meds for, you know, 20 years, for a car accident that really was not ever tried um, to be treated in a non-opioid fashion 
with physical therapy and non-narcotic drugs. And, you know, we even say this to people who have diabetes. You have behavior change, you change your diet, you exercise, you lose weight, and we try to lower some of your meds. And it's the same theory, intellectual honesty in pain medicine. Can we get you to physical therapy? Can we get you more active? And can we lower the dose of your medications? And if that's all it takes, we're not here to take medicine away. I don't want to take medicine away from anybody that needs the medicine. But, it, you, but as, you med- pointed, as you pointed out, I mean, the brain is plastic, and uh, you yes. can rewire the, the brain. If you've been on a, an opioid, a codeine, or something for a prolonged period of time because of chronic pain, your brain has been rewired. You, you are now dependent, correct, whether you believe it or not. I would say that we, we taught people 15 years ago there is no upper end to opioids, and we were wrong. High-end opioid users are dependent, and the most important thing that you can say is um, the National Institute of Health studied long-term opioid therapy, and it came with an increased risk of abuse, aberrant drug-taking behaviors, overdose death, fracture, and myocardial infarction. Why would I expose you to those five or six maladies? Okay, time is tight here. You can Uh, can stay on that. All right. Uh, Tell me about the book American Narcan. What's it about and how do we get it? Okay. American Narcan is a call to arms. It's what do you really need to know about the opioid and uh, heroin epidemic that's sweeping across the country And what do you need to know about the only drug that's approved to treat it? I have statistics in here that the uh, state governments are not being honest about. The death toll is insanely higher. You can get it at www.americannarcan.com, or you can get it at Amazon. And the book's also available on Kindle, paper and Kindle. When you read this book, no, it's not a Dr. Shivago. It's not a real long book. But it's here for you to read simply. It's very readable. You can read it in one afternoon, and it tells you about heroin, about naloxone, and about the opioid problem that spreads across uh, half the states with very key statistics from the states themselves. Dr. William Maroney, thank you so much for this. appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, open lines on the other side. Stay with us.